amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in that time of worship through song this morning. So grateful for our music folks who week in and week out lead us to the throne of grace uh, in worship. Uh, you noticed Ellis is not here today. Uh, he and Adrian got married yesterday. I don't know why they're not here, but whatever. <clears throat> no, I'm just kidding. I'm grateful for them, happy for them. I want to ask you if you would to turn with me in, he, in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19 will be my text for today. Now, let me say a couple things to you while you're turning there. First, let me give you an update. Several weeks ago, we um, had a vote to call Brock McCoy as our student pastor. And just to give you an update on what's going on there, Brock will go uh, on staff full-time May the 15th, just to kind of give you an update on on where we are with that. So May the 15th, he'll be on full-time. And so we are um, excited about that transition. I know that um, Brother Matt also is excited. That will allow him to be able to kind of go deeper into his new role as well. So we are uh, excited about that transition that will take place here in a few weeks. I also want to say a very special thanks to our, our hostess ministry team and all the work they did last week for the uh, dinner on the grounds. We had a great time last week. We had enough food, I believe, to probably feed the entire city of Chipley, maybe Wausau and, and a few other places also. It was amazing. A great time of fellowship, good time of food. It was just a great time to be together. It could not have happened without our hostess ministry team. Uh, the leadership team of our hostess ministry team is Julie Young, Vicki Williams, uh, and Herbie Foskey. And they had a literal army of people helping them, and I don't even know how to begin naming out all those folks that were involved in that, but how grateful I am for their service uh, to our Lord and allowing that fellowship to be able to take place uh, last week. Now, let me remind you women of the women event that's coming up this weekend from 10 to 12 uh, here at the church. It'll be in the activity center. Uh, you don't want to miss that time of fellowship, that time that you eat together. Dr. Chantel Oni will bring a word from the Lord. She will encourage you, ladies. Uh, she will strengthen you uh, with the word. And so I, I know you do not want to miss that. Matter of fact, Chantel was at Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Dothan speaking yesterday. Had about 200 women there that she spoke to. And so she'll be back with us then. Uh, this coming Saturday. So I'd encourage you to be a part of it, ladies. Just go ahead. I'll give you permission right now even to have your phone out in church. <laughs> and just go ahead and go online even right now uh, and, uh, and register for that event coming up. Uh, if you're not very tech savvy, you want to wait, uh, you can go out to the, uh, in the, the foyer right after service, the welcome desk. There's a sign up for you there. Uh, please be a part of that. Guys, you can help your, your wives by just saying, look, I'm going to take care of the kids. I'm going to take care of the chores for you today. You just, you, you go. Uh, and and they, they need that. You ladies need that. You do so much. You work so much. You invest in family. You invest in the church. You need a time where you can encourage each other, be poured into with the Word. And so please be a part of that event coming up this Saturday uh, here at the church. And then finally, before I pray... Uh, in about two weeks, uh, our families are experiencing a very special time when Savannah and Taylor come together as husband and wife, and that service will be here at 4 o'clock on Saturday, May the 6th, and we're inviting the church family to be here with us for that service. And so we'd love to have you if you 
uh, want to, but we would love to have you because we believe that you are part of our extended family and we love you deeply and we're thankful for the investment you've made in our family over the years. I can never repay how I've been blessed by this church family. And so that'll be a very special time, I hope and pray, next week. And so I know the Adams family, along with the Orr family, would invite you to come 4 o'clock on May the 6th for that time. All right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together today. Thank you for the time to sing praises to you. Thank you for those willing to serve today and minister through song and Lord, minister in many other ways, teaching the Word across this campus this morning, greeting folks, just encouraging people. Lord, I thank you for each person that you've gathered here today. And Lord, I pray now that you will enable us to continue our time of worship through the Word. I know this, there's no possible way for me to be able to preach the Word of God apart from you. And I'm asking you, Lord, to give me clarity of mind and clarity of speech right now to deliver the Word of God and to do so with faithfulness. And, Lord, please make up for my inadequacies and enable me, Lord, to, to speak your truth. And I pray right now, Lord, you will open our minds and our hearts to hear the Word you have for us today. And, Father, I pray now you'll speak. Lord, work in us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask a question. As I begin this morning, do you have a heart of unbelief? Now, that may seem like a strange question to ask a group of people because most folks in this room are believers. Maybe not all, but most folks in this room are people who have a relationship with Jesus. We're a church. People of God gather together to celebrate and to worship. So it may sound like a strange question question to ask. If I were to go down each row here and ask each person in each seat, do you have a heart of unbelief? I would probably expect that most folks would say, no, I, I don't have a heart of unbelief. And that's because when we think of unbelief, most of us think of someone who does not believe the gospel, someone who does not believe in God, does not believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And we think of that as being Unbelief, But the unbelief that I want to talk about today is not the unbelief of the lost. It's the unbelief of the saved. It's the way we respond sometimes to the instruction of God. And there's a warning in this text for us to prevent a heart of unbelief. Now, in chapter 3, we began last week looking in the first six verses. There was encouragement there in those verses not to become unfaithful to the Lord. Remember, the recipients of this letter were Christians. They were ethnic Jews, and they had received Christ as their Savior, and they were under a level of persecution. They were facing opposition, and there was a tendency for them to be tempted to go back into Judaism and away from following Jesus because it would sort of lessen the intensity of persecution they were facing. Judaism was more accepted by the Roman Empire than Christianity, and so they were under this level of persecution. And so the writer of Hebrews is encouraging them, no, you stay faithful. He spends the first chapter talking about the deity of Christ, and he talks about how that Jesus is God the Son. He is heir of all things. He is creator. He is sustainer. He is sovereign. He is at 
the right hand of the majesty on high. He is Savior. And then we get to chapter 2, and the writer of Hebrews begins to tell us that God became man. God the Son became human. And there was a purpose for that. That purpose was to be the captain of our salvation. It was to provide atonement for our sin. Propitiation is the word that's used in chapter 2, and it's that word that means satisfying God's just wrath toward our sin. And that's what Jesus Christ did on the cross. The first two chapters are spent really laying that out. And there's an encouragement to stay faithful to Jesus. He'll help us in everything that we face in this life. He'll help us with every struggle of sin, every temptation, every bit of suffering that we face. So he's writing this to Christians. In chapter 3, verse 1, we see how these folks are addressed. They're called holy brethren. That word holy refers back to chapter 2 and verse 11 when the writer of Hebrews talks about how that Jesus sanctifies those he saves. That is, he sets us apart as holy. And so he's talking to Christians here. He calls them brethren, which means brothers and sisters in Christ. It means the family of God. We're part of the household of God. He calls them partakers or those who share in the heavenly calling. That's the calling of salvation. He says they have made a confession of Christ. These are believers that he's referring to. And he, he says to them, stay faithful to Jesus. And here's how you do it. You, you consider Christ, he said there in verse 1. He, that, that means you set your mind on Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. And then he says to them, they're to stay committed by holding fast their confidence. That is, they had confidence that through Jesus Christ, they had access to God. No other way to have access to God but through Jesus Christ. And then in those verses that we talked about last week, there's two examples of faithfulness given, Moses and Christ. And of course, Christ is superior to Moses. Moses set a good example of faithfulness up there until the, until the end, and he kind of messed up. But Jesus was absolutely perfect in his obedience to the Father. He's the ultimate example of faithfulness. Matter of fact, Moses' ministry actually pointed to the coming Christ. Moses built the tabernacle as he was instructed to by God, and Jesus actually fulfilled the tabernacle. He became the living tabernacle. He, God became flesh and dwelled among us, the Scripture says. The law of Moses and the sacrificial system pointed to Jesus and were completely fulfilled in him. God gave to Moses instruction to establish the Passover, and Jesus it's the ultimate Passover lamb that when his blood is applied to a person, death is defeated. Matter of fact, God gave to the people of Israel in the wilderness as they left out of Egypt manna. That manna was kind of a bread-like substance to feed on, and Jesus is the bread of life. The people of Israel got thirsty, and God said, strike this rock. Moses there at Horeb, and he did so, and water came out to quench the thirst of the people, and Jesus is actually the living water. When you take a drink of Jesus, you don't thirst anymore. He satisfies the soul. He's greater than Moses. He is the fulfillment of Moses' ministry. So be faithful to Jesus, 
is what the writer's saying. And then we get to this section today, the second warning in the book of Hebrews. There's five, five warnings. We already talked about one over in chapter two. Now we're dealing with the second warning here. And it's a warning against a heart of unbelief. The Holy Spirit of God is warning these believers, do not be guilty as they were in the rebellion when the people of Israel rebelled against God and had a heart of unbelief that manifested itself in disobedience. So let's take a look at our text for today. Beginning in verse 7, here's the Word of God. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin." For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who having heard rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was He angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who did not obey? But we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. If I were to ask the question again, do you have now a heart of unbelief? How would we answer? Again, many of us might say, no, no, I... I, I believe, but let, let me say this to you. What we believe, we obey. The part of the Word of God that we truly believe, we obey. What's being dealt with here is the unbelief that rises up in the hearts of Christians. In chapter 2, verse 3, I said to you when we were looking at that verse, which says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? I, I said to you, that does not mean that a person walks away and loses their salvation, nor does it mean here that it's a person rejecting salvation, but it's a person who's not living to the fullness of their salvation. It's a person who is not living the full redeemed life. It is a person who is allowing unbelief to creep into that person's life to a point they're not deeply and absolutely devoted to obey the Lord Jesus Christ in their lives. And this passage today can be divided up into two sections. The first section is a quotation from Psalm 95, and it gives an, a, an example of what not to do. Don't rebel and be disobedient and have a heart of unbelief like the Israelites did when they came out of Egypt. And verses 12 and following all the way through verse 19 give us a commentary on that. And also these verses give us 
an allusion to another Old Testament passage, and that's Numbers chapter 14. Remember, I told you in the introductory message that in the book of Hebrews, there's 29 quotations of the Old Testament in the book of Hebrews and about 53 or 54 allusions to the Old Testament. We've got a quotation and an allusion uh, in this text for today. The Old Testament, remember, points to Jesus. Y'all with me? One of the purposes of the Old Testament is it points to Jesus. The law, the sacrificial system, the prophets were all pointing to Jesus. And that's why when the Lord was on the road to Emmaus with those two disciples and, and He began to explain to them about the resurrection and they didn't understand what was going on. And he, verse 27 says of Luke 24 that starting with Moses, He began to explain all the things the Scripture says about Him. In verse 44, he went on to say that too, that the Psalms and the prophets and, and, and the law are pointing to Him. So that's one of the purposes of the Old Testament. When we read the Old Testament, we ought to be asking ourselves this question. Where's Jesus in this? Is this in any way specifically pointing to Jesus? But then also in the Old Testament, God reveals things about Himself. Uh, in the Old Testament, it contains the moral law of God. And the Old Testament also provides us with examples to live by. Matter of fact, Romans chapter 15, verse 4, and 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11 teach us that. Matter of fact, we can just go to the next chapter here in the book of Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 11. It speaks of an example. We're to, we're to avoid an example of rebellion. These examples, some of them are good, some of them are bad. Today's quotations or, and allusions are bad examples. It, these are examples that we're not to follow. So let's take a look at these verses. Verse 7 begins by saying, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says... I want you to notice that. Don't, don't miss it because he says, I want to show you what the Holy Spirit says, and then he begins to quote Psalm 95, a psalm that was written down by a human author, but that real author was the Holy Spirit himself. He's the author of all of Scripture. That's why the Word of God records that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable. When you read your Bible, the Holy Spirit speaks. When we read the Word of God, God speaks to us. Let me remind you something, lest we forget this. This is the inspired, infallible Word of the living God. This is the authority for life. Oftentimes in life, what we do is we are faced with a decision, how we're going to take stand on an issue or whatever it is, and what we'll do sometimes is say, how will this affect my career? How will this affect my family? How will this affect me? How will it affect the priorities of my life? We start asking all these questions. We ought to start with this question. What does God say? That's what matters. And we find what He says here in His Word. So he talks about the inspiration of this text, this psalm that he quotes here. The quotation that's found here in Hebrews is verse 7 through 11 of Psalm 95. And it's a quotation about the rebellious nature of Israel. This is a psalm that calls the people of God to worship. 
And there's something we need to understand if we're going to worship God. It's not just about coming to church and singing a few songs and getting excited about that and, and then, you know, giving a tithe or whatever and walk out and think we've done our due worship. Worship is a whole lifestyle of, of commitment and devotion and obedience to the God of the universe. We live every moment for him as an act of worship. Worship is incomplete if we're a people who have hardened our hearts in unbelief and we refuse to obey him. And so he's recording an event here that took place. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, God had miraculously delivered them. There was a series of plagues that, that just broke Pharaoh down. And God was in all of this to exalt himself and make his great name known. And so they were released from Egypt. And even to the point when they left, the Egyptian neighbors were saying, here, you know, here's, a, here's some money and here's this and that. Take all this. And so they, they came out fully supplied because of what they had given them. They get out into the wilderness area and the Egyptians start coming after them and God protects them. He moves between them and the Egyptian army. And then they're backed up to the Red Sea and and God parts the Red Sea and dries out the land, so they cross over on dry land. Then the superpower army of the world, the Egyptians, follow in after them, and God releases those walls of water, and they come crashing over that army and destroys them completely. They saw all of that. And they get on over into the wilderness area a little bit, and then they start their complaining. The people of God are good at griping. I've noticed that over the years in ministry. We're good at griping. They start griping. We have nothing to eat. Back in Egypt, we had big pots to sit by and all kind of stew to eat. We ought to go back to Egypt. Why is it that sometimes the people of God keep looking back over their shoulder at life in sin and think somehow that could ever be better than what we have in Christ right now? So God gave manna, provided for them. Then they got thirsty. Exodus 17 says they got thirsty and they started complaining again. We're about to kill you, Moses, because we're going to thirst to death. We'd have been better off, than e better off in Egypt. And, and then God said, you strike the rock here at Horeb. Water will come out. And he did. And he provided water to quench their thirst. That's the rebellion that's referred to here in Psalm 95. Moses named the place Mesa, meaning testing. And Mirabah, which means contention. So they were tested, and yet they, they contended with God. They, they rebelled against God. They were prone to wonder and rebel and push back against God. And what the writer of Hebrews is doing by quoting this psalm is to say, don't do that. Don't have a heart of unbelief. Don't, don't allow your heart to become hardened through unbelief which leads to disobedience. Again, unbelief equals disobedience. We can say, oh yeah, I believe what the Bible says about something, but, but there's a level of unbelief if we're not obeying the truth. We're not living it out in our lives. And then verses 16 through 18, there is an allusion here to Numbers chapter 14. So they've been in the wilderness now two years. They started out pretty early whining and complaining and now all this is taking an idolatrous event took place also. A golden calf was made and all this. And, and then there was a receiving of the law, building of the tabernacle. Everything is ready. Now, two years have passed. It's time to go into the promised land. 
the land of Canaan. And so they're to get the people ready to go do that. So they, God says, Moses, choose a leader from every tribe and send them out as a, as a recon mission and you scout out the land. So he did that. Two of the guys that, are, that we know of that are named were Joshua and Caleb. They go and for 40 days they scout out the land and they come back and they give their report. And they say, I'm going to tell you, it is unbelievable the bounty that is there. There's every bit of food you could think of. It is amazing what's there. But I, but I want to tell you this. There's also mighty people who are there. I saw some of the descendants of Anak. They're giants. We're like grasshoppers to them. There is no way we'll be able to go across there and defeat them. We just can't do it. But see, God told them to do it. There was a heart of unbelief. And so Joshua and Caleb said, no, hang on. God said to go do this. He's going to provide. He's going to wipe them out. He's going to make the way for us. We just need to trust God. But the people didn't listen. And so Moses and Aaron begin to be broken before God. And God said to Moses, let me just tell you this, Moses, I'm going to wipe them all out. Just stand back. And Moses began to intercede for the people. And this was all part of God's plan. He interceded for the people and God pardoned them. Now, I want you to notice something. Now, this is interesting here. They wanted to find them another leader and they wanted to go back to Egypt. Now, Egypt represents lostness, slavery into sin. They were wanting to go back to that. But notice, God wouldn't let them. That is one of those subtle teachings on the security of a believer, a true believer. God pardoned them, but He said, You will not enter my rest. Now, what is rest? Well, when you find out, let me know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. When you study this text, and my, little, my sermon research team would tell you this, when you study this text, it will drive you insane trying to find somebody who just comes out and says, here's a definition of this. But here's what this rest speaks of. It speaks of a relationship with God, the peace that we have with God through a relationship with Him, the spiritual blessings of God. There's even a factor here of the Sabbath rest we'll get into later that's talked about, but it speaks of reward and it speaks ultimately of our eternal life that we have with the Lord. But now in this context, it refers to the rest of a closeness and obedience to God that results in His reward. It, this is not saying that these people lost their salvation because they could not enter into the promised land because remember, Moses did not enter into the promised land. He didn't because, remember, when God told him to do something, he, he, God said, speak to the rock and water will come out. It's another time the people were complaining again about water. And Moses struck it. He was not allowed to go into the promised land. But Moses was saved. Matter of fact, Moses is seen on the Mount of Transfiguration with Elijah the prophet talking to Jesus during his earthly ministry. This context is talking about Losing out on the reward and the benefit and the blessing and the power of an obedient life. 
That's what's being referred to here. So they were going to have to wonder for 40 years. They were going to have to wonder for 40 years because they spied out the land for 40 days, so one year for every day. Let me draw some application now. Unbelief demonstrated that they refused to believe God's Word. Now, I want you to look real quick with me in verse 18 and 19. The last part of... Let me just go to verse... 19 first. Look at the last word. And I'm reading out of the New King James, but unbelief. You see that word unbelief there? And then look back up in verse 18, the last three words, did not obey. These two words are connected. Matter of fact, I got a circle around those phrases and I got a connection to them because it is unbelief that leads to disobedience. These two things go together. When you have a heart of unbelief, you don't obey God. And there's a danger for us there's a danger for us as Christians to harden our hearts in unbelief and disobey the Lord because <clears throat> we feel like if we get too involved in Jesus, it's going to cost us something here in the world. But it costs us much more than we think. It costs us reward because of our lack of obedience. See, I'm convinced that many Christians right now and their relationship with the Lord are wandering in the wilderness. That's the experience of their walk with Christ. When God desires them to be in a relationship with Him in the land of milk and honey. Problem is, we've forgotten how much better Jesus is than anything else in this world. We've forgotten there's nothing this world can offer us that can be better than what Jesus has given to us. Nothing. And for whatever reason, we harden our hearts and we don't obey wholeheartedly uh, as we're called to. Now, some of you still may be pushing back right now and saying, Pastor, you don't know. You don't know anything about me. I'm, I don't have a heart of unbelief. But then many of us right now are so influenced by the world. We're following the world more than we follow Jesus. And we allow things like our pride and anger and lusts and covetousness and jealousies and Craving of the praise of people and all type possessions, all types of things to, to take us away from following the Lord wholeheartedly. Spurgeon listed out some things that, that he believed caused hardened hearts. And one of those things was that he said it delaying a real relationship can harden your heart. Now, I think that's where a lot of people are today in the American church. Maybe, I don't know, maybe people here in this room you don't want to get too involved in Jesus. You don't want to get too radical in your walk with the Lord. When you see other brothers and sisters that are all fired up for Jesus, you think, man, those people are a little bit wacky. You just kind of like coasting. You're in the wilderness. If you're coasting, you're in the wilderness. You're missing so much that God has for you. I was thinking about what we'll do for the lengths that we take to go do things we like to do and compare that to the lengths we take to follow God. And the lengths we take to go do what we want to do often far exceed the lengths that we take to do the will of God. Y'all with me? Amen or oh me? We're in danger of missing 
God's true rest. Well, how do we guard against this danger? Well, there's three things the writer of Hebrews gives us to help us with this, and here's the first one. We prevent unbelief through examination. Verse 12. Verse 12 says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. The verb beware is a present active imperative in the original language. It's a command of God. Active voice means the action's on us. It's present tense means you keep on doing it. You keep on being aware. It means that we have the responsibility before God to be self-aware of what's happening around us in terms of our spiritual life. To examine ourselves, to see where we are. And we examine ourselves by immersing ourselves in God's Word. Now, if we'll beware, then we can guard against departing from the living God. That word departing there is a word that we get our word apostasy from. It means to fall away. Now, he's not talking about losing your salvation here. This, this word's only used one time in the book of Hebrews. And certainly this context would demand that it does not mean that you're losing salvation, but you're losing reward. You're losing the, the blessing of obedience uh, that, that comes when you're walking with, with the Lord. It's clear from this text that God does not take disobedience lightly. And I think we think He does. He is gracious and His mercies are renewed each day. I praise Him for that. We have to understand that we harden our hearts toward God and we let unbelief take up and we disobey God. There are consequences to that. The people of Israel in chapter 19 in the book of Exodus made a commitment before God, a confession before God to be priest of God and a holy kingdom. That's, that's what they were charged to be. They said, we'll do it. We'll do it. So they were to go over into the promised land, establish the nation of Israel, and be a light to the world. And they failed. And they failed. And that first generation, by the way, did not get to go into the promised land. Those, 20, uh, those under 20 were able to uh, go into the promised land, but look at what delay. Parents, let me just say a word to you. Do, you, do we understand that our disobedience to God also affects our children? Can affect our children? I remind you of this. In chapter 3, verse 1, that word confession, we studied it last week, means an expression of obligation and commitment. It is the faith response to the action of God who convicts and draws. When we call on Jesus and we confess Him as our Lord and Savior, understand this. It means we are surrendering to Him to serve Him and live for Him. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 says we become a holy priesthood. We represent God to the world that we might proclaim the marvelous praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light, the Scripture says. We're called to be all about Jesus. And so we need to examine ourselves often. And let me tell you how you keep from departing from the living God. You stay in the living Word of God. 
as chapter 4, verse 12 says, which is sharper than any two-edged sword that will pierce us down to the very division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God will show us who we really are if we get in the Word. He'll expose who we really are. But then also, not only should we be a people who practice examination to prevent unbelief, but then secondly, we prevent unbelief through exhortation. Verse 13. Look at verse 13. But exhort one another daily, while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. But exhort one another daily. Now, they were meeting together daily, it appears. Matter of fact, this word exhort is found over in chapter 10, verses 23 through 25, particularly in verse 25, we see this, that very familiar verse to many of us, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. In other words, don't, don't not go to church, <laughs> is how we'd say it today. But he goes on to say here in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, the same word, except it's a participle here. Same word. Encourage one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. Now, now, what does this mean? It means that God has designed us to be relational people. He's designed us to meet together corporately in fellowship, not to neglect this time as we gather together. In our day, listen, in our day, we let all kind of things keep us from this time. We do. I mean, everything. From birthday parties to ball games to everything else you can ever think of in the world, we will look at our calendars and we'll say, okay, I don't have anything else going on today. I guess I can go to church. When it should be, no, I'm, I am keeping this day holy. I'm going to gather with the people of God. Because, see, God's designed us to gather together. And as we gather together, there's a purpose for that. We're to exhort one another. And that exhortation actually guards against the heart of unbelief. See, the Bible says in this verse that sin can be real deceitful. And do you know that sometimes I don't even recognize sin in my own life? I need some brother or sister who has a love for me, who encourages me, who has my best interest in mind to be able to mention something in a very humble and gentle way to me in those areas. Every one of us needs that. We have our own blind spots. We can pick it out everybody else pretty easy. Oh, so-and-so ain't right with God right now. And the fact is, we may not be. So you need others around you on a regular basis. And that's why when people get out, get out of the family of God for a while, they, they are really easily deceived. They don't even recognize what all is going on in their lives. They need that brother or sister to encourage them, come along beside them. Encourage them in their obedience and be willing to lovingly correct them when it's needed. And then we got to be willing to take it. We don't take it too well. We get defensive off the bat, don't we? I and mean, we, we just kind of want to push back immediately when somebody does that. And our culture, here's what our culture says. you got to believe everything I say, agree with everything I, I agree with. If you don't, you're not worthy to be in my life. You're, you're toxic. You're going to drain me, blah, blah, blah. All this kind of junk that we say. And we push back on people. And we don't let people speak into our lives. If you're serious about your walk with God, you want people. You, you wanna, that may be wrong. But you step back and you reflect and you examine and you let the Holy Spirit show you if what they're saying is true or not about you. And listen, 
There's not many people who like to go and, t and talk to one another about that because we're afraid we're going to offend people. But you've always got those sin police in every church. <laughs> and they make it their ministry to go around and point it out in everybody else's life. And, you know, they're, they're pretty good at picking out specks, even though they've got a beam in their own a lot of times. So when we do this, it must be done with humility. It must be done out of a heart of love. It's people that usually walk close beside you each day that kind of have the right to do that in us. We need exhortation to guard against unbelief. But then finally, there must be examination, there must be exhortation, but then third, there must be exaltation. Verse 14. Verse 14 says, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Now, what he's saying here is this. If you're a child of God, then you ought to persevere to the end. If you're saved, then you ought to show it each day in your life. Your, your life. Now, we're going to mess up. We're going to have times of straying at times. Don't tell you what happens when we stray, though. God comes after us. And I'm thankful that He loves us enough to come after us. But He'll do it. And he'll, he'll bring things into our lives to bring us to a point of repentance and return to Him. That's chastening. It's discipline. We'll get to it in Hebrews chapter 12. The Word of God says here in verse 14, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. We have become partakers of Christ. So our focus is to exalt Christ. It's all about Him. We are in Christ. I need to focus on that all the time. Without Him, I would be, I would be on my way to eternal condemnation. He is my hope. He is my strength. He is my help. He is the one who enables me in, in every aspect of life, we're to exalt Him. I've never known a person who truly desired to exalt Christ in everything that had a hard heart of unbelief. They were people who wanted to obey the Lord. My brothers and sisters, do not let your heart become hardened to God. Do not allow unbelief to set up in your heart and do not be disobedient to the Lord. It will, it will cost you rest. You will miss His blessing now. You will miss future reward because of disobedience. Let's quit living in the wilderness of our Christian life and start living in the land of milk and honey in our Christian life. If you would say today that you're at a point in your life right now where you know that you've got a heart of unbelief because it's proved by the life of disobedience you're living, then you should confess that to the Lord today and repent and return to following Him. If you're walking with God right now and you're getting weary because the pressures of the world, I say to you, my brother or my sister, you stay faithful. And every day, examine yourself and be around those who will exhort you to stay faithful and, and make sure you're staying on the right path and exalt Christ. Keep on exalting Christ. There's no situation He won't get you through. 
And for some today, you wonder all the time because you've never truly received Jesus. You've not truly repented and received Him as your Lord and Savior. That, that's why there's such inconsistency always. And what you ought to do today is not harden your heart toward the Lord. You ought to surrender to Him. Repent. Receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. and He'll, he'll change you. So we're going to stand to sing. And as the Lord leads, I'd encourage you to obey Him. The altar's open to come here and pray and confess things or just pray for others or pray to, Lord, help me stay faithful to you and maybe some need to give your life to Jesus or unite with the church. However God's speaking, let's obey Him. Heavenly Father, I thank You for this time together today. I thank You for Your Word. And I pray, Lord God, You've used Your Word. I, you say Your Word does not return void, so I am, I'm trusting in that that you've made an impact in us through this, this truth today. And I pray it strengthens us. I pray it gets us back on the right course. I pray it results in a call for some to be saved. I'm asking right now, Lord God, for you to move in a mighty way for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please.